Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I am your host, Alan Seals, and this is the final episode of June, which means it's the end of our Bleeding Love Takeover. If you haven't listened to it already, please visit bpn.fm slash bleedinglove. It's an original musical podcast set in a post-apocalyptic time about a bunch of people who can't go outside because it's too dangerous. Art mimics life, and this was written years ago, long before our current pandemic. So it's actually very apropos that we're listening to this now. So in case you didn't hear about it, singles from the show have actually dropped on Spotify and iTunes and Google Music and everywhere. So if you just search for Bleeding Love everywhere you stream your music, you should be able to find a couple singles. And at the point I'm recording this intro, there's actually a full podcast album in the works, but you can get a couple singles out now. So just look for those. This episode is with Arthur Bacon, Harris Duran, and Jason Schaefer, who are three of the primary creative forces that have brought Bleeding Love to life over the past couple of years. And if you listen to the last episode, episode 98, with Tony Vincent, he actually, uh, I asked him, I said, why did you do this? Why were you part of this project? And he was like, I love passionate people. I love passionate projects. And he was referring specifically to, to these three, Arthur, Harris, and Jason. And in this conversation, in this episode, you hear it, the, the, the love and the passion that they have for making art and for creating and for bringing this to life is is just, it's unparalleled. I, I really, really enjoyed this conversation and I know you will too. So before we get into this, as always, please visit me online at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Visit me on the web at thetheaterpodcast.com. Please show your support in this difficult time through ttp.fm slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Arthur Bacon, Harris Duran, and Jason Schaefer. I have the pleasure today of interviewing not one, not two, but three of the creatives that recently collaborated on the podcast musical Bleeding Love. And they each have extensive careers in their own right, which we will get into uh, from award-winning indie films to Glad Media, award-winning television series to Clio Awards from Best Original Music, Arthur Bacon, Harris Duran, and Jason Schaefer. Welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks. So uh, just so we can identify your voices and associate that for other listeners, let's go through, start with Arthur, explain, uh, introduce yourself and explain how you're connected to Bleeding Love. I'm Arthur Bacon and I wrote the music to Bleeding Love. Yes, the, the, the music, music is what we've got in credits. Okay, Harris? Uh, I'm Harris Duran. My voice is a little raspy because I'm having terrible allergies and I wrote the lyrics. Lyrics and directed it and edited it. Oh, the it. podcast, yes, yes, yes the podcast. The, yes. Yes. And then, and yes, and Jason Schaefer. I am Jason Schaefer, and I wrote the book, The Bleeding Love. All right, so the book of Bleeding Love. I want to start there because it, it, the Bleeding Love is a, is a podcast that, I mean, is a, is a musical that existed years and years ago that now we've recently turned into a, a podcast radio play. And the story behind it is very 
eerily similar to the world we live in right now, where it's set in a place where it's not safe to go outside. And obviously this existed in your mind, Jason, long before COVID. So yeah. <laughs> where, where did this actually start? And how long ago did it start? Um, so actually, you know, I had a friend... It's hard to talk about. It, it goes back quite a ways, I will say. Uh, I had a friend who actually just recently listened to the podcast who remembered um, me telling her a version of this story when I was an undergraduate, which was a while ago. Um, so, um, but, but how it started for me uh, was I, uh, I wanted to write a story that had... Um, kind of a, a strong emotional center, a strong emotional pull. That was my my uh, kind of objective before I knew anything about it. And I just started by doing um, a list of a bunch of items that had kind of emotional power in my life. And I assembled quite a long list and... Um, and you started using that, that list to, to create a story. And, and one of the elements on that list was an Oscar Wilde short story called The Nightingale and the Rose. And, uh, and so I, I took kind of the thread that lies in that piece, um, but then started to see how I could incorporate uh, a bunch of other elements. And I, I don't know how, but I kind of led into um, that's a fairy tale, and I think the post-apocalyptic setting uh, lent itself to um, some of the fairy tale aspects in that in that story. But then, obviously, I uh, I kind of paired it with some kind of darker elements as well. So it, it kind of took me in this direction. It was not a quick process. It was something that actually evolved over a number of years uh, uh, that was kind of a, a back burner project of mine through a lot of other things. So it's been going for a long time. And if you want to say fortunately or not, you know, now we're in a time where art, where life, <laughs> life mirrors art uh, and it's getting a lot of attention very, uh, very deservedly because it's a great story. And then on top of the story, there is, of course, the music and the lyrics. And so Harrison and Art, when, when did you two get involved and which came first? What, the chicken and egg for me, like do lyrics come first or does music come first? How does, all, how does that process happen? The omelet came first. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I knew Jason for a long time, um, back in my acting days, I was in some of his work and I was always a huge fan of his, um, and, and a friend. And so we, Jason came to see, um, a musical that Art and I had written called Salvage, um, that had this big like concert reading at New World Stages, which then was called, what was it called back then? Higher? No, no, not the musical. The New World Stages was called something else. Um, anyway, um, and so uh, and so after seeing that, um, Jason was excited and want and talked to me about working together, and he um, told me about uh, this story. Uh, and um, and at the time, I wasn't sure that that was the right piece for Arthur and I to be working on next. And then um, we were working with these producers on that show and. Blah, 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 blah. I came back to Jason and was like, what was that story with the rose? 
Um, and then we started working on it, and that was 2010. And um, wow, that was yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah, and um, yeah, and then I mean, Arthur and I, we don't have like a a specific music or lyrics. First, I think there are different pieces in here came different ways, and um, yeah. you know, Arthur and I tend to write sort of in the same room together. So there's a lot of sort of back and forth, um, but some some songs started music, some songs started lyrics, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great mixture of uh, it's every different way. Like, but when we get together, it's little we we get together and something always happens. We just jam. And, yeah, we uh, like improv. Yeah. I just grew up playing with my older brothers, just jamming every day. So it's like an extension of just like getting together and and having fun and jamming. And sometimes you have a melody already and sometimes you have lyrics, but a lot of times just getting together and there's that kind of combustion that happens. It's interesting to me as, as somebody who doesn't write any music and is like, I can sing, but I don't like, I can read enough music to like get by. But in terms of making things up from scratch, it, like that always just blows my mind how people can do it. And for, for me to, listen to a script or read a script or listen to a reading and then say, Oh, okay. So here's the melody that comes out of that just is beyond my level of understanding. So the two of you, you know, Art and Harris, like you, when you guys sit down and like, Jason, are you there? Were you there as part of the process of like, Oh, that has the right feel or that this, this is too upbeat for this scene or. No, you know, I think, I, this was a very smooth writing process for the most part. I mean, in general, how it would work uh, is Harris and I would meet and we'd talk about the dramatic moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and sometimes we'd zero in on on the subject in some in some way, but then they would go off and write. And then usually it wasn't even that long that within a week uh, I'd get an email and Harris is a great vocalist. And so they were, Harris performed uh, all the demos and I would get the Harris demo uh, (laughs) a couple days after, after that meeting. And, and like, as I recall, I know we tried an opening number that I wasn't happy with. And I said, like, I think we need to look at that, but let's just move forward. But then they kind of, after that, they just kind of hit it after the park song after song. It was like bleeding love, plastic rose, um, uh, up there. I mean, just like those were the next three songs that came into my inbox and, 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 they were phenomenal. And, and there's a, there's like an amazing thing I have to say that happens to someone who like lived with this story and then it's in, in my head and then you bring people into it or they, they step into it and it becomes another thing. And that's a, that's a, um, challenging and, and kind of scary part of the collaboration because when it's just a vocal agreement, no one knows what's going to happen. But certainly I think when bleeding love came back, uh, I, w- I was thrilled. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is a new thing. The, the, there was that thing, but now it's turning into this new thing that is the thing that the three of us uh, are building. And then that kind of kept up with song after song. Yeah, and 
Sorry. And I, w- I would say, you know, so from the conversations that Jason and I would have, you know, for me, since my background is as, as an actor, when Art and I were working together, it was just about like, part of the improv is like acting the moment, right? And so because like, it was clear what the moment was supposed to be, then Art and my improv is sort of like, how do we activate this action? What does the character want? It all comes back to like foundational you know, playwriting more than it is like, oh, what is the melody or what is the lyric? It's more like, well, what is the, what is the, what are we trying to achieve here? What is the character trying to achieve here? Right. And so, um, uh, so it all was connected, you know, like all three elements um, as like a, a, a singular thrust. And I would say, just to add to what Harris said though, the emotional rightness of the music in all the places was, huge and and something that sometimes when i see shows and a song starts up and it's not emotionally where you are in the story or something and and i mean that was what the songs were nailing which which was thrilling and that's and and all of a sudden it kind of amplifies the story in in ways beyond expectation well you want to care about the characters and you and the more emotionally invested an audience is in a story the more they're going to want to see it again and listen to the music over and again and tell their friends and all of that so is so it's you know the three of you together are like the the triforce if we want to go to zelda right <laughs> zelda yeah <laughs> you guys make the triforce of this perfect musical uh and it was originally written obviously as as a stage production it had readings it had a uh, demo and then there was um so of course then the cast came in and and you know jason you were saying it became something else when more people come in but like there's the creative team and then there's the 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 actors that then come in and put their own their own life into all of the characters that that maybe didn't exist before so um who who was who was responsible for the casting were any of you? Did any of you do the casting for the original demo? We did all of it. <clears throat> I mean, um, they were all the original demo were, were all people we knew. Yeah, we. So Sarah did it at NAMPT, which was the Sarah Styles who plays mm-hmm. Bronwyn. Um, she she was with it at NAMPT, which was the very first time it was presented anywhere. Um, Annie Golden did a workshop with us prior to the demo. Um, so they all kind of came on board at different parts. And then a few of them showed up, uh, for the first time at the demo. Um, but, uh, but yeah, all of it was, was us reaching out predominantly Harris, although Sarah, I think was, was, uh, my call originally, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the cast the cast is phenomenal. Ta- you know, Sarah Styles, Taylor Trench, Tony Vincent, uh, Mark Kudish, Rebecca Naomi Jones, and, and Annie Golden, in, in no particular order listed. Uh, all, all amazing. And it's this ensemble cast that carries everything and s- sings it very well. And it, it's, you know, full disclosure to those listening. Um, I was one of the producers on this and was the audio engineer. So we were, we recorded this, the dialogue entirely in quarantine too, which was new for me at the time. Um, now it's become the norm and <laughs> <laughs> strangely, um, 
which I guess parallels very much Bleeding Love, um, if they were making their own radio play. But so we get we have the cast. All right, I'm trying to I'm getting ahead of myself. There's there's you guys creating this thing, and it's it's being staged. It has a demo. It actually gets stage legs in Denmark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, out of because we were in Namped with the show, and so from Namped, um, a lot of opportunities came, and one of those opportunities was um, uh, Soren Muller, um, who was the head of this theater uh, in Fredericia, um, wanted to do it and did the world premiere of the show and did a stunning production of it, and he was the one who produced our uh, original demos with this cast. He recorded the orchestra in Denmark. Uh, during the production, then brought it over here, and then we used this uh, American Broadway cast, um, and that's how the the demo came about. So then, at what point did someone say, "You know what? This needs to be a radio play podcast"? When the world <laughs> fell apart. <laughs> um, it was actually a uh, bizarre coincidence. So, um, Katie who um, Katie Rosen was one of the producers um, is someone that I've known for years. And, and um, you know, she came on to the project last summer because uh, I ran into her because I was a judge at Nymph. And then we caught up and she listened to it and was like, let's do this. Um, and so then I believe a week before COVID happened, she had a meeting with this guy, Alan, Podcast Network. <laughs> you heard of him? And um We're intimately and, acquainted. <laughs> yeah. And uh and and Katie brought the idea of doing a podcast because you know, so by that point we had brought on so it was Katie Rosen and then Kent Nicholson, who actually um was originally someone who helped us get into NAMP um uh way back when. Because uh, we missed the deadline. We missed the deadline. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, so my buddy Jason Rates, um, who had listened to the project, he was like, you know, you guys should uh, apply to NAMPT. And and I was like, oh, when's the deadline? We looked it up, and it was like, oh, it was last week. It's like, so we missed it. So then he got in touch with Kent, and then Ken listened to it, and Ken was like, I'll sponsor you and and um, and send this to, to NAMPT. And then we got in. So... Um, so and then so coming back around, Kent is now a producer on the show. Because um, Katie and I were like, let's just meet people, let's meet up, let's talk to producers. And so I I was like, hey Kent, do you want to get together? And while we were talking, I was asking him advice, and he just was like, I want to produce this. And I was like, oh okay. And then my buddy Steve Saparito, who is one of the producers on Hedwig, um, who I actually met through politics. Um, you know, I was talking to him and then he also was like, I want to, I want to work on this. And so then we had these three producers and and one of the questions was how, how do we get this going again? Cause it basically after Denmark, um, there was no next step that happened after that. And so it was this idea of what do we do to, um, you know, reignite it. And so we talked about doing a concert, you know, 54 below or at, you know, um, Joe's pub and so when Katie met with you, Alan, then she brought back this idea of doing a podcast. And so it was just kind of a question mark. Then the next week, less than a week later, so it was three days later, the world fell apart. And yeah. we were like, hey, why don't we do that podcast? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and so we immediately went to action. So Katie called you and you guys said yes. And we were thrilled because we were like, well, I guess our, our show's about this. So this is the moment. This is the moment. And, uh, and uh, yeah. And you guys said yes. And we were thrilled. And so then we just moved forward and, you know, um, called we Sarah. We were recording a, re- a week later, if yeah, I remember correctly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Called call everybody. We were fortunate enough to get, to get all of the original people from the demo, the, you know, the cast that, that is that you hear now are the same people they've heard on the demo. Like everybody, they were shockingly just, available. It's very interesting to me. Something that Tony Vincent said in in the episode previous that, that is released previous to this one. I asked Tony. I said, "Why did you get? Why did you get involved with this? Because he's he's in Nashville and he's got you know." the kids now and he's this indie recording artist and kind of left his his theater roots behind more or less and he said that he loves good music he loves people who are passionate about music and and if the music itself is good even better so working with the three of you and singing the lyrics with the music like it was just a no brainer he said he had to do it Aww. and He's and the I, nicest guy. Tony's yeah. the nicest guy. And yeah. Alan, my little brother Nick, was in the band with Tony. Like he, my little brother plays guitar, so he he had played with Tony in the past. Oh, really? So, yeah. So before Tony sang sang on this, he was like, "Oh, I know your brother." <laughs> that was so cool. Yeah, and Rebecca. Yeah. Rebecca and Tony knew each other from American Idiot. Uh, yeah, like, and I know knew. Rebecca from my apartment because she was my roommate <laughs> for two years. <laughs> <laughs> the theater world is so small. Yeah, her her aunt's table is still in my kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Well, so then in podcast form, Jason, did you go back and and tweak things? And so the final script that we ended up working with, like how how did that change from the stage production? Yeah. So I you know I had to do kind of this slam bang adaptation, and and the show is incredibly visual, and that's something that they actually realized marvelously uh, in Denmark. And so all of a sudden you're being robbed of a lot of the visuals. So so there are kind of two categories of changes. And and one is is just tweaking dialogue uh, to make sure that any any action that's covered visually is represented in some way. Um, And then uh, the character played by Mark Kudish is a narrator in the prologue and the epilogue of the stage show, but there's no narration through the the huge middle of the piece. And so that was kind of just a natural extension to, to write that stuff. And fortunately, I'd written it, I have to say, already in a slightly elevated style. So it wasn't much of a leap um, to kind of pare down uh, the things that were already in the script. But it did take a, a, a reimagining to make sure that it was something that was a listening experience and not just a stage show recorded. Did, did you, as the, as the book writer, did you go in and add in you know, cues for sound effects or ambi- ambient music or anything, or like Harris or Art? Did you guys look at the script and say, oh, we need a sound effect here, or Harris as the audio editor... Did you add things that even weren't in the script? I think that was lots of layers of that. There was stuff that was already suggested by the action and stuff that was already in the script. And so those 
I left in, but then Harris, uh, in his process, and he can talk about this, but he obviously found things that weren't actually uh, indicated in the script that are in the sound design of the piece. Yeah. But you had gone through the script and put, there were, there were a bunch of indications that were really helpful um, that Jason put into the, the script to begin with. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, the process of, of editing it, because everyone was in quarantine, you know, everyone recorded at the same time, but, you know, it, the timing was not there. So it was basically getting like a bunch of mush, like acting mush, you know. And so I was sort of recreating the intention of the performance by re-editing everyone's timing to come together to feel like what they probably were doing. Um, and... And so the way that I was able to do that was to basically act them. So I did the timing based on like, I would become them and I would, I would time it based on being them. And so then that in terms of the sound design was sort of the same thing. Oh, they're walking here. How is the scene staged? So it was a very visual, mentally visual process of editing the sound, which is how the sound design um, came about. Um, and then um, I brought on my buddy Rick Schnupp uh, to do to really make the sound design real, and he does films, and he did Midsommar and won an Emmy this year for Free Solo, um, and so he and he had um, uh, someone who was working with him, and they did like Foley and and added other things, um, and added like a gloss over all of it to make it you know mastering to make it sound. Um, sensational like it does and I, that's that's rick um like i i definitely did a lot of work but then the reason it sounds so good is rick so i have done i've done some other audio only projects and i've done plenty of tv and film projects in my experience and what surprised me about the process for for bleeding love is is that we had a, a day prior for re for recording for rehearsal. We did like front to back rehearsal and got everybody in a Google Hangout and and we had everybody on screen and saw faces and tried to get cues as much as we could. And then for recording too, we you, you chose as the director, you chose to do the same thing. So why why not just say, oh, Annie's available tomorrow. Let's do all of Annie's lines. Or Rebecca's available on Saturday. Let's do all Rebecca's lines on Saturday. Like, why choose to record this as as a comprehensive... Like, we recorded it as if it was being put up on stage. So, you know, I, I think that it's not the same. You know, recording just by yourself. These are actors who act off of each other and are inspired by each other and would laugh at each other's performances and... You know, I think what people are surprised about when they hear the the podcast is how it feels so lived, and these actors are all so lived within it. And it's because we took it very seriously. We took it like this is a real re rehearsal process, and in the recording, we are acting. We are really doing these scenes, you know, on an intentional level, on an emotional level. Um, and so I think that by if you remove the process of actually actors acting with other people, then you don't have the same respect for the material and you don't get the same performances. Because I think a lot of what they were doing really was responding to each other. I agree. I, I completely agree. And I, I applaud the choice, actually, because 
I mean, we're recording now through through a platform that allows us to see each other face to face. We're not using the video, but like we can see each other nodding and we can see each other our nonverbal cues. Yeah. It helps so much, even as an interviewer, to see that oh like oh, look how comfortable art is right now. He's just leaning <laughs> over there. <on> the side. <laughs> My eyes are closed. <laughs> He's laying down on the floor, his legs are up. Laying on the floor, doing yoga, whatever it is. Um, no, I, I completely love the fact that that's how we did it. And, and, you know, Art, you were popping in and out throughout the multiple days of recording and whatnot. And, you know, because we went back and did it, some other stuff uh, as pickups. But, you know, Art, you were popping in and out. So you sort of saw it as it was happening. But, and Jason, you were, you were less there. But when Art, J- Art and Jason, the two of you, when you heard the finished product, uh, w- was it what you expected or different or beyond? Like, I, as a writer, having my baby being and my music being sent off to a director and a bunch of actors and this guy you've never heard of who like has a microphone in front of his face <laughs> to like create these things and pull them together, I, I I don't know what I would have expected. And then hearing the finished product, I, I was blown away. I thought it was great. Oh yeah, well they're Jason's words, so I'll let him get like I was completely blown away. But he, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so the. <laughs> This is, yeah, I was blown away by the product, um, absolutely. And um, it's, we've learned with this piece that there are certainly actors who like dive in and get it. And Harris is really, really good at, uh, at pushing them there. Um, and certainly we, like this cast is just like unlike a cast uh, that we probably would have been able to get on the stage all at one time, all free schedules. And so, um, so to hear them is extraordinary. Uh, and, um, and Harris and, and Art and I have been living with this piece for so long that uh, it's nice to hear the rhythms of the scenes done properly um, and the the right emotional stakes, which this is something that's vulnerable, I think, for an actor because they're being asked to go so far with it. Um, and, uh, and all of these actors kind of just uh, delighted in that. And, and some like Annie just automatically will, will go so far with everything and then, um, and then even like Tony from when we did the demo five years ago to Tony now, like Tony got it in a way, I think from that experience and he's wonderful on the demo, but then here he just knew how to charge into the scenes. And so, so, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's amazing to hear. I'm really also glad, uh, that. Sarah Styles, at least in recording, can still play a teenager because um, <laughs> uh, I'm really happy to be able to listen to her performance as Bronwyn. But all the performances, I uh, am really pleased with. Yeah, Art, what about you? Oh, exactly the same. I feel I was completely blown away by it. And there was uh, a lot of work I did on the key songs, demo-wise. You know, there was uh, just just to make them better. Um, but in terms of hearing the piece as a whole, all uh, put together was was amazing. It's quite an achievement. And uh, I don't know, Harris really has such a gift for uh, um, directing and editing. 
It's amazing. It was, it's fun. It was fun to me to hear the finished product because we, even when we were recording, you know, Harris is like, oh, we'll just we'll extend that vamp or we're going to put some underscoring here. And, you know, so imagine imagine that you're talking over this music here. So we would have the actors play the, the track back in their in their headphones and sometimes sing a little bit and then sometimes do the dialogue on top of it. And, and you're like, don't worry about it. Okay, now let's do it in the clear, which means, you know, nothing <laughs> underneath it. And so we'll just extend the vamp. And to see it, to hear it all come together at the end was was truly phenomenal. I mean, the three, the talent the three of you have together is is really incredible. I mean, it's really incredible, but together, (laughs) thank you, Alan. Thank you. I want to also say though, what's interesting is you know musicals are not realistic just by nature, and so there's always (laughs) a. You you don't break out into song (laughs) over breakfast. Well, I do. I do. Uh, but so there's, and this piece in particular has a a heightened style to it, uh, or in a unique style that's not really like anything else. And like we compare it to a bunch of things to try and equate it, but it has a style. And and having a an audio only version of it is an amazing thing because uh you will get people who see it on the page or hear the demos and they're like wow that's kind of big and that's that's they're going for something but to hear the entire piece performed at this level uh recorded at this level where there's like no excuses like this is the show this is what the show is it i mean i think it's a great way for musicals going forward to present themselves. I, th- I think uh, in lots of ways it's stronger than, um, than the workshops and some of the other things that, that uh, the industry is doing. Oh, I, I completely 100% agree, which is, you know, putting on my Broadway podcast network uh, co-founder hat is, is why this was a, a no brainer to, to sign on with because I mean, if following up on the success of, of, Percy Jackson musical and be more how to be more uh, sorry be more chill and uh, even Beetlejuice the popularity that that the soundtrack that the audio only brings to these shows which you know Beetlejuice was already on Broadway but the other two were brought to Broadway because of the the love for the music and for the soundtrack and when I read the script in its original form and then you know was. And then when I heard the demo uh, of the demo music, I was like, yeah, this is, this is so easy to do and so easy to stage. I put in air quotes because it's all audio, but uh, we worked hard for, for a very short amount of time. Like we, it was a sprint and now, now we've taken a rest and now it's back into marathon time because we're working on, you know, uh, I, I think by the time this episode drops, then I guess we can announce it here that the, the the music will be out as a on Spotify and Apple and all the other places. So we're going to, you know, the, the music will be available for streaming very publicly. And there's other things we can't talk about that are going to be landing, hopefully, whenever the world starts producing content again. But like this deserves to be, or it lends itself to be to to be so many different types of of media, mm-hmm. like uh, in addition to a stage project, because it it could be animated, it could be cartoonish, it could be you know like Sarah Styles plays 
you know, a kid <laughs> as in her, in her Steven Universe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, casting. She can, she can. Yeah. So there's a lot of opportunity here and, and I'm really excited. I'm excited, excited to be a part of it. I'm excited to work with the three of you going forward. And, yeah. uh, and uh, we're, so, we're so happy to be working with you and Dory. It's, it's been such a gift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Dory Berenstein, the other <laughs> producer, one of the other producers and co-founder of BPN. Yeah. It's been wonderful. Um, we skipped over one of the things that I normally ask everybody on the podcast at the very beginning, but because we got right into bleeding love, but I want to ask the three of you kind of to tell your, in a nutshell, your story of what, um, what brought you into the world of performing and theater in general, what made you love the arts. So Art, let's start with you. Yeah, well, so I grew up in Northern Westchester um, and my mom she played guitar and piano. She wrote songs and she was a published writer and she had six kids. I was the fifth. Wow. And we all we were like uh, a little, uh, just a musical crew. And there was a church right down the street and she was the head of the church, the children's kind of the, like the choir. And we just always sing uh, pop and rock and Beatles. And so it, I think it's just from like four, four or five years old, you know, um, every day she would play songs from West Side Story on the piano and Godspell and uh, uh, what's the other big ones? Oh yeah, Jesus Christ Superstar. So I was, you know, that got hearing that every day when you're a little kid, that I just was like drawn into that. And then when I really started studying piano when I was 10, um, with a great jazz pianist named Lou Stein, and every week he'd have me play a standard song, just write the chords out and melody or just show it to me. Cause I learned at first just by watching him. And besides all the pop and rock, there was always a standard song I was playing. So by the time I was like 12 or 13, I probably played like, you know, so many songs. I didn't know what musicals they were from, but they're all, you know, Cole Porter and George Gershwin. And um, so I knew eventually I would be writing a musical. I knew that. It's just there were some other things I wanted to accomplish first, which were like being in a signed band and writing a hit song. And, and now those things can ha- have to happen by a certain point. Writing musicals, you can keep doing when you're in your 30s and 40s, you know. Up, up <laughs> 90s and your 90s. Yeah. <laughs> you go, there's time for that. But I, was, I wanted to do some other things first. And I did those other things. And I wasn't so fulfilled with them, there was still like an empty spot. And my, I had a friend who was going to Juilliard, uh, my best friend, Darren, and he said, you just have to write musicals. You have to write musicals. And uh, he kind of pushed me and, uh, the, and I went, got into the BMI workshop and I met Harris and, and then it was like, oh, this is writing music for stories and characters. There's just nothing like it. In our musical salvage, there was no other feeling like it when I saw that. Like, um, so that gave me the greatest fulfillment and it makes me feel very, yeah, fulfilled and whole. Um, but I still write songs for, you know, pop and rock. I have a, a publisher in LA, but this is my thing I really focus on. And it takes, it takes just about all your focus. <laughs> to, to I want to add add to your your credits a little bit because you uh, I mean aside from composing music for Bleeding Love right you said you were in the in the rock R and B musical uh, are you composed for Salvage yeah and and Billy Sleepyhead um, yeah. 
you've written songs for Joey Lawrence and Marion Raven and Latin supergroup CD9. Like you've won two Cleos for best original music. And like you have two singles out by recording artist Jackson Penn, as well as upcoming Spencer Lee band out. Like you, you're in the, the, the pop rock, the, the big scene yeah. that like you were saying, I got to do this and this and this before I can do these other things, yeah. which is funny because you're doing all this. You've written for what, what is it? A hundred, uh, over a yeah. hundred commercials. Yeah. National television, radio commercial yeah. spots. Uh, yes. I've been really fortunate and privileged to, you know, when I landed in New York and to be, I got my partner Ari and I got picked up by, um, we became head song songwriters at Lookin' Company, which uh, was one of the big jingle companies in New York, right at 22nd and 5th. And every day we just, you know, would write in the first couple months, I think we wrote to two, two different Pepsi spots at one Clear Awards. It was like, whoa, this, I guess it's like, it's a lot easier than playing Rachmaninoff, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I think this is going to, this is a little more up my alley. Like, okay, I can do this. So, yeah, you just if you're doing it every day for years, they kind of accumulate. And then yeah. a wonderful thing about New York, it's so small and you meet everyone very quickly, especially if you're doing something that you know you can pay people with for, yeah. you know. And so all the great musicians would just come in and you get to know them pretty quick. All the names you see on records growing up and all of a sudden they're there and you're working with them. Uh, so, yeah, it's been... That kind of, all that led me to musicals, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. it's it's just phenomenal to me. I mean, I'm and Jason. I'm going to go to you next here. You you wrote the the acclaimed indie hit Trick from on Fine Line Features and premiered on Sundance Film Festival. Like you've been a staff and a, a staff writer and a co producer for Showtime's Glad and uh, Glad Media Award winning Queer as Folk, and of course. You've written for Warner Brothers, Paramount, ABC, Fox Television, and tons and tons of film credits that I, it's too long to list here. I'll put it in the show notes. But like, so you've got the TV and the film and whatnot, but yet you still come back to to theater. And it's, it's I love, and I, I still don't really know how to explain it. And Art, you kind of touched on it just a second ago too. And I'm here, Harris, I'm sure you'll have a similar story as well. But having having the love for for theater and musical theater specifically does not leave you no matter how much tv and film you're involved with and i yeah. can't explain why uh, yeah i i mean i'll just say for me i fell in love with theater my grandmother took me to plays as a little kid with along with my cousins and like theater was magic and um it has a magic that doesn't get replicated in the other mediums. And no matter what else you do, it's like, oh, theater is something else. And I think theater was my first love. And um, no matter what else I do, it still holds uh, a power for me that the other mediums don't. I think it's... Yes. I think it's a, a chemical thing. And I've said this before on the podcast is the neuroscience behind all of it. And and I think I think it was Tanya Pinkins who told me that that the 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 center of the brain that practices empathy that is responsible for empathy cannot be trained 
without experiencing things in reality. You can't imagine mm. it and prepare for it, right? Mm. So be, seeing people go through traumatic experiences on stage or even happy experiences or whatnot, like as the brain is reacting to that, even though it's not real, it is real to the brain in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why people chemically sort of fall in love and have these reactions, these serotonin, endorphin, mm. oxytocin releases with characters and songs and people on stage. Because they're they're reliving these memories and these feelings in a way that chemically they like they don't realize it, but you know it's like you know you smell you smell something and you remember these old memories. I think you hear a melody and you it's just kind of the same thing. But that's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Tony's amazing. Tony is amazing. So Harris, gosh, like you're you've worked with on projects forever, Rachel Chavkin, Taylor Schilling, Edie Falco, Laura Benanti, Cynthia Nixon, uh, Alicia Rayner, like you, the people you have worked with and, and directed and been involved with your resume too is, is super, super long. And you're in pre-production for an, for your next film called Atticus Brown is still here. So like even in the midst of all of this, you're still doing TV and film, but like for you, what is it that brings you back to this medium? So it's so funny because, you know, I think um, there's something about theater that is truly heartbreaking. Like theater breaks your heart and you can't help but keep coming back. And I think that I've uh, tried to run away from it uh, throughout my life and, and, you know, especially musical theater to run away from it and to be like, I'm just doing straight acting, I'm doing Shakespeare, I'm doing film, I'm doing TV, but it always calls you back and um, and there's something of where, you know, the last bunch of years of my life have been mostly film and TV. And then the last year or so, just life has come together to pull me back into musical theater. And now I'm like, like, all right, here's an idea. Like, should we write this musical? Like, we should write these 10 next new musicals, you know, <laughs> where like, you're just like, it brings me back to being a, a kid. You know, there's something just that was so pure, and innocent and, you know, me just like acting out roles, you know, I mean, Annie Golden specifically, like, so I grew up on like the Assassin's uh, soundtrack, right? And I would sing Unworthy of Your Love with Annie Golden in my bedroom. And then, you know, I grow up and become an adult and she and I sang that live together twice. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And so like, you know, and she's been in a bunch of, of our projects and, you know, it's sort of like this weird thing of how life comes around and and it brings you back to like the innocence of your childhood in a way that is really emotional. Um, And, you know, I think like, I mean, the world right now is very hard and I think that there is something that draws you back in a, like a purity, a love, a, um, an innocence to it that is magic. And, you know, and you look at, I mean, surviving COVID, I mean, art is how people are surviving COVID, right? Film, TV, podcasts, music. Um, without art, we people would be mentally really messed up, right? But this is how it's surviving. And it just goes to show you the power of art, the power of music um, in a really, really tangible way. And so I think that's why people are drawn to it and back to it is there is a like emotional cleansing and an emotional catharsis. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. And that's, that's 
I mean, I acknowledge, I want to acknowledge, actually take this moment to acknowledge that, you know, outside, outside our windows right now is all of, all of the, you know, the protests and the movement for Black Lives Matter, which it shouldn't be a movement, you know, it should just always be there. And, you know, some people have stopped recording completely. Some people aren't releasing episodes and I've personally can decided to continue releasing um, with the caveat that, you know, I acknowledge what's going on, but exactly what you just said, Harris, that art bring, can bring us together and art can heal. And art is, I think, a necessity for everybody to come together in, in general. I mean, even music is one of the oldest forms of communication. And that's, there's a reason for that. Before you could write, you could dance. Mm-hmm. You know, babies, babies get to, you know, they're doing their, their groovy thing and, and moving around. It's like, you guys are you missing this dance that Alan's doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel little kids. It's fresh in my mind. Um, yeah. Like people love to move. They love to just feel that rhythm pull it, pushing you inside. And if the lyrics are just that extra layer of, of love and affection towards something. It just, and then, you know, layer that on with a great story to wrap it all together. And you know, like that's, that's perfection right there. So I'm really happy that you guys got together, that you knew each other and that you wrote bleeding love because it's, it's affecting a lot of people in a very positive way. So thank you all for that. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm blessed to know Jason and Harris and have gotten to work with them. It's been an incredible experience. Cool. So we will wrap up this episode with three standard closing questions that I ask everybody on the podcast. So Uh-oh. we'll take turns. Uh-oh. We'll take turns, and each of you will get a chance to each answer the question. So um, no cheating, but you'll, you can't help but cheat because you'll hear two of you will hear me ask the other one first. Okay. So we'll start with Jason for this one. First question is what motivates you? Uh, creating. Harris? I'm going to steal J- creating. That, that's yeah. the same. Yeah. It's yeah. the same. Creating, yeah. I, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So, Art, we'll start uh, with you for the second question. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? There's time in the day to do everything. There's there's time. Just make time to do to do it all, and go fearlessly. Uh, go fearlessly, fearlessly forward. I like that. All right, Jason. I think what I've learned most is like when I try and uh, write what I think other people want, no one cares. And weirdly, when I when I write for me, that's those are always the projects that that seem to have some sort of life. Um, and so that's what I would recommend: don't waste your time writing for other people. I think because they're real and authentic. Because you care about it, and that yeah. shows. Okay, Harris. Great advice. I would say be yourself, that trying to be what you think society or the business wants you to be in order to achieve things is not worth the sacrifice of yourself. Be yourself, and you'll find your way. I like that. All right, so Harris, we're going to start with you on this last question. Wow. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you could see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh, God. I mean, the, I, the first thing that came to my mind was Sweeney Todd. I'm not sure what that says, but... So many people say Sweeney really? Todd. That's the first so thing that many. came to my mind. That's crazy. So many people, yeah. That is I guess, by far wow. the majority. 
yeah. so funny. It was just the first thing that came to me. Yeah, so many people. Art, what about you? Um, is this only musical theater or can it be film as well? Anything, anything oh. you want. Oh, I guess Wizard of Oz. Oh, good one. Ooh, all right, Jason. Yeah, I think art kind of wins <laughs> with that. Um, I, you know, I, I go through, I deconstruct everything until, like, anything that has magic over me, I deconstruct it. I watch it, I live it, I breathe it until that magic is kind of destroyed, and then I have to wait years to find it again. So it's it changes by the moment. <laughs> I have a very weird one right now because I'm fascinated with a particular show that I've never been fascinated with before. Um, and that's flower drum song. Um, so it's just my moment right now. I don't think it's one of my favorites of all time, but it's certainly something I'm learning from in this particular moment in time. Wonderful. All right. So let's we'll start with Harris again. Where can we find you online? HarrisDuran.com and Harris Duran on Twitter and Instagram. Art. Uh, Instagram is uh, shedlove87. Shedlove87. All right, Jason. You can't find me online. You're not a social guy? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, believe me, Jason, I went kicking and screaming into Instagram. So. <laughs> you can find more of me at the theaterpodcast.com. Yeah, you can find me through Harris. Yeah. <laughs> you can find more of me at the theaterpodcast.com. You can find me on Instagram at Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Please leave a rating and review. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I just listened to this great podcast with these four great guys you need to check it out too this is edited by matthew hendershot thank you to jukebox the ghost for the intro and outro music and jason harris and art thank you guys so much this has been so much fun thank you alan thank you thank you thanks alan thank you take a deep breath make the world a little colorful Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.